Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me of course is Jonathan Wilson. And with us today is Maha Mazahi, a football journalist based in Algiers, covering North African football with contributions to the BBC, The Guardian, The Telegraph, Al Jazeera and many, many more. Maha, an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. The pleasure is all mine. I've listened to a few of these now and I've, I've really admired them for a long time now. So I'm really pumped to, to talk about the, the mess that I've picked out. Well, I, I, I hope you are indeed good, sir, because you've picked one of the most controversial and highly charged encounters we've ever had on this podcast. And we've had a few. <laughs> we have had a few. But this one, I, well, we'll let the listeners decide, see if it takes the biscuit. We go back to uh, the 18th of November, 2009. Algeria 1, Egypt 0. Maha, why have you chosen this game? For me, it honestly has all the perfect elements of a, of a, of a rivalry. Um, the two teams are fairly equal. I think Egypt are arguably the most successful national team in Africa uh, with the amount of African Cup of Nations titles that they have. Um, but if you take World Cup performances into the equation, Algeria have had much more impressive per, uh, performances in the World Cup. And they've also, I think, produced better players. So I think they're fairly equal national team sides. They're, they're both two African heavyweights. Uh, the passion, you have that sort of Mediterranean style of support um, where it's very like virile, rhythmic, almost warlike at times. Um, you know, in Algeria, at times I've marveled that, you know, 50-year-old fathers who cuss out the lineage of a player uh, because of a misplaced pass, uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes things go overboard, but, but there is that passion there. And I think uh, there's a little bit of hatred or at least disdain between the two nations. Um, there are a fair amount of cultural differences. So for me, all the perfect elements of a rivalry and it sort of all came to a head in, on November 18, 2009. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of hatred is, is perhaps an understatement. Uh, there was a lot of hatred during these games, Jonathan. Um, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, this game, we should sort of say, this is uh, a World Cup qualifying playoff. So, mm. and we'll, we'll get into the exact details of how they got to this position. But Egypt and Algeria finished level on points, level on goal difference, level on goals scored. So they have a playoff. So this ends up being the third game out of four games in, in, in eight months. Uh, so they twice in World qualifying, then the World Cup qualifying playoff, and then they meet again in the semi-final of the Cup of Nations in, in Benguela, in, in Angola, which which I was at. And that game is, I would say, one of the most extraordinary games I've ever, I've ever been at, for a whole number of reasons, uh, which which we'll get into. Um, but, but yeah, th- th- this game, I think it's fair to say it's not in itself a great game, but it is the, the high point of this extraordinary sequence of, of four matches, which themselves sort of derive their importance because of what had happened 20 years before that so all the way through we're going to be kind of going back to explain context but yeah it's you know it's you watch the footage and you can just tell by everybody's reactions by the crowd reaction you know how highly charged everything was yeah i where to begin let's begin with with what defined the rivalry because there's Sometimes it is geographical, of course, a, a rivalry, and, and sometimes there are particular incidents. So, so Maha, what, what, what creates this rivalry? Obviously, in terms of geography, they're, they're, they're close by to each other. Um, were there particular incidents in the past as well that uh, caused this uh, game to be a, a particularly spicy one? Yeah, look, on paper, you have two fairly large military powers in North Africa, same language, same religion, uh, both part of the Arab Union, or the sorry, the Arab League, um, the African Union. I mean, on paper, they should be 
fairly close countries that, that get along, but there's always been sort of inferiority, an inferiority complex from the Algerian side for a few separate reasons. I mean, diplomatically, they've, they've gotten along because uh, Egypt under their sort of uh, most famous president, Kamal Abdel Nasser, he was a big help to the Algerian War of Independence in terms of sending uh, arms, support, and even welcoming a lot of Algerian refugees, including Algeria's first president, Ahmed bin Bella. So Egypt was always a sort of ally, at least from a political sense to Algeria. But there are fairly large um, cultural differences. Egyptians in Algeria are sort of seen as like snooty, as like obnoxious, theatrical, dramatic, because you know they have like a huge um, cinema culture. You know, um, they, they, there's a lot of <laughs> uh, art scene. Um, they see us as sort of rustic, unsophisticated. Um, Egyptians call themselves Omedunya, which means the mother of the world is a, is a literal translation, but it means the cradle of civilization. They like to bring that up, like we're this ancient civilization with all this culture and sophisticated. And you guys are just, you know, uh, rural peoples that that, that uh, fought for your independence pretty much. So those are the, the main cultural differences. But in football, if I could just touch on this really quickly, yeah. um, the Algerian national team actually predates Algerian independence. So the, the first Algerian national team was unofficial and it was created in 1958 from players that were playing in France for clubs like uh, Lyon, uh, Saint-Étienne at the time were, were obviously a, a very, very big club. Um, uh, Monaco as well. So you had uh, even two, three, four French internationals that actually left their French clubs and created what they call the FLN team. The FLN being the political front that was fighting for Algerian independence. And the FLN team was based in Tunis and they actually traveled around the world and played more than 90 matches trying to raise uh, awareness for Algerian independence. Egypt at the time was the new home to the Confederation of African Football, which was only created in 1957. So it was only two years old when the FLN team in 1959 tried to go to Egypt to play a match to try and raise awareness for Algerian independence. Egypt, because of the precarious situation at the time, they wanted to establish themselves as, as the African superpower in football. Uh, CAF headquarters are in Cairo. They refused to play that match. And that really left a sour taste uh, in terms of uh, in terms of football, again, politically, Egypt were clear allies, but in terms of football, because the, the players that ended up playing for the FLN team ended up being very, very influential in the Algerian national team post-independence. For example, Rashid Makhloupi, who was the star, was the coach uh, during the 1982 World Cup. So they, ha they had always felt very, I don't know, they felt some type of way about going to Egypt and being turned away without playing a single match because uh, Egypt was scared that FIFA would sanction them if they played against the FLN team. I mean, football fans seldom forget these things as well. You know, some of the great rivalries, they remember results and incidents all, all the way down the years. Um, and so 1958, as you say, that, that, that extraordinary, really. There's a piece of history, that I, football history, that I had no idea about. I, I did quite like the, um, the nickname of that side, uh, the Eleven of Independence, which I thought was, which was quite a nice name. Um, but uh, fast forward, and, and something that you brought to our attention as well, the 1984 Olympic <laughs> qualifiers. Now, this is where I think we, we you know, you have that piece of, of history with regards to independence and, and so on and so forth. This is a bit more... Um, <laughs> In your face, I would say, uh, for, 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 for all literal and metaphoric reasons. So, so set the scene for a set, Mahi. 1984, the Olympic qualifiers, um, there was a game between these two sides. Yeah, just a, a game to, to qualify to the, uh, to the Olympics. Um, I believe uh, the first leg in Algeria was a draw and they needed to, um, Algeria needed to win, uh, or at least not lose by by a goal to nil, which, which they ended up doing in that 1984 uh, Olympic qualifier. And late in the match, I believe it was Jamel Zidane, he goes up for a header and he gets, you know, elbowed 
uh, by an Egyptian player who he gets yeah. assaulted. Yeah. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> it was like a, a run up elbow into the I think the back of the head, and then as the Egyptian player was running running away, another Algerian forward I think sort of slapped him, and then the camera cuts away and we just oh. see the crowd. And you just you need, a, a, you need a wide shot at that point of what's yeah, going on. Yeah, right. And I mean, the, 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 the camera, the television crew, I think, kind of let us down. But you just hear two <laughs> or three seconds later, you hear the, the commentator go, oh, bo, 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 bo. You, just, you just know something is going on. And it cuts back. And, and the first thing you see is an Egyptian player running away from the, the, a group of Algerian players. And somebody comes out of nowhere and he's parallel to the ground, uh, two foot stud. Uh, sort of jump kick right into the, the, the midsection. Another Egyptian player runs from the left of the screen uh, at the Algerian players, I think throws a jumping knee and he gets a jumping knee to the face. Somebody gets kicked on the floor. And then the Algerian right back, Shaban um, al I think a minute later, you just see him running with the, the corner flag, which of course has like a, a sharp metallic pointed edge at the bottom. Yeah. He grabbed that like a javelin, like he was going to attack somebody. And thankfully somebody stepped in and, and cooler heads prevailed. But that was... That was intense, yeah. Jonathan, sometimes in football, things are described as a brawl when there's a bit of pushing and shoving and so on. And, you know, the Premier League's never seen a brawl, really, because that was a brawl. I mean, it's very nasty, ugly scenes, of course, but flipping heck, it was like a war zone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the flying kicks, which is the incredible thing. Um, mm. I don't know if there's something... I, I don't know why this should be the case, but it does appear to be the case that when you, when you see what, 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 what was, you know, the Manchester United Arsenal brawl uh, in 91 when they both get docked points, that's a load of people sort of standing around pushing each other, the odd punch gets yeah. thrown. Nobody's yeah. doing the flying kicks. No, 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 no. But you look at, say, the Barcelona Athletic yeah. uh, fight from 84. From... Maradona involved? Maradona, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. And, 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 and that's, yeah. that's all flying kicks. So these, these, this flying <laughs> kick thing seems to be a very un-British thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, this is, I mean, it's a... I suppose a brawl is the right word, but it's very different to to, to our to a British football understanding of what brawl means. And then, yeah. of course, this all provides the context for. for are you suggesting for, that? Are you suggesting that once again we're sort of lagging behind? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we've got a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So and, anyway, and this all provides the context for, for '89 and, and the, I, I guess the sort of the, the real sort of centerpiece of it. You know, the thing that the the, the sort of really provides the backdrop to, to these games so the, the the world cup qualifier in in, in 89 when yeah. egypt wins a qualify for the world cup um but and, and of course egypt go on to be in england's group in that world cup in, in 1990 mm-hmm. but algeria are furious with the referee and and things unfold shall we say yeah, I mean, I mean that was yeah an explosive incident again, Maha. But it was involving uh, Algeria's probably the, the best ever ever player, Lakhtar Baloumi, who bottled an Egyptian doctor in a fight um, after the game in the hotel, I believe, and uh, and permanently blinded him. Yes. So this was a huge incident. You know, that's all joking aside. That is incredibly, uh, you know, well, dreadful. Really. Yeah. Um, that was definitely, I think, a little uglier because there was permanent damage. Somebody's life has changed. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and Lachter Bellumi had always denied that it was him that threw the bottle. Um, he said, I think he, I think he blamed it on the Algerian goalkeeper, um, actually, which, which sort of created a, a weird, awkward situation between the two of them. But he was a subject of an Interpol search warrant for a very long time until actually 2009 when these teams met again. 
uh, ahead of the 2010 World Cup qualifiers. So one of the things I think that really sort of adds fuel to the flames when it comes to these matches is there's that goal of qualifying for the World Cup. And for Egypt in 1990, they hadn't qualified since 1934, since, uh, since the, their own, that was their only prior participation where I think they had played a playoff, I think against the Palestinian territories or something like that. And they, they smashed them 11-1. So even like me personally, and I think a lot of different African football supporters or aficionados or whatever you want to call us, we don't, I don't, I don't really consider that a qualification. Um, so they, they were, this was 1990 for them, I think was the first real time they could really qualify for a World Cup. And, and same situation, they, they get the draw in Algeria and they, in, in, in front of the Cairo International Stadium, you know, 90, 100,000 strong at the time when it wasn't, you know, a, an all-seater. And um, it was a really ugly match as well. I had watched the highlights. Somebody, I think Eamon Yunus, had, an Egyptian player, had referred to it more of a war than a match. I had watched some highlights. Um, Hassan Hassan scored in the first, I think, five minutes of the match. Um, a very nice header. The Algerian players complained that it was offsides. It was not even close to being offsides, to be, to be fair to them. Uh, Hassan Hassan went down later in the game, and I've, he was laying down. An Algerian player walked by and literally kicked him in the head. So I think this, this one was more like, um, it was more, I think, of uns- poor, poor sportsmanship from the Algerian side, much like what happened in, in Angola in 2010, as John, Jonathan will be able to tell you. But what happened with the Interpol incident was that um, after the match, the Algerians were in very, very, very poor spirits, and uh, I think some Egyptian supporters and delegations actually were in the hotel that the Algerian national team was staying in. Unclear as to what happened, what started it off, but I think bottles were flying, and the one that Lakhtar Belumi allegedly threw uh, ended up bottling, like you said, a, a doctor who was permanently blinded. So that that was really an ugly incident and really set the tone again for the, the matches that would be coming forth later. Mm. So we, so there's all that you know background to, to, to this match, and so we we kind of come up to the kind of more sort of uh, well into the 21st century. I mean, had there been many games between them, between that one and then and then the one we're going to talk about now where there was uh, incidents and so on, or had it cooled at all? No? Okay. Not at all, no. Um, leading into, for example, the 2002 World Cup group, mm-hmm. uh, World Cup qualifiers, Algeria and Egypt were again drawn in the same group with Senegal. Senegal, of course, went on to qualify and had that fantastic World Cup performance where they beat the world champions, uh, France, but uh, Egypt were very, very confident that they could qualify. They were in the lead uh, for a long time in that World Cup qualifying group. Uh, they had beat Algeria 5-2 to two in Egypt. And they just needed, I think, to win in Algeria. And I think Algeria held them to, it was either a 1-1 or a 2-2 draw. So again, there was that satisfaction of keeping your rival from their ultimate goal of qualifying for that World Cup. So that was another heated match. But there wasn't anything as ugly as what happened uh, in 1989. Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's have a quick break and then we'll uh, talk about uh, this match itself for qualification for the 2010 World Cup. See you in a moment. Welcome back to the Greatest Games on the Blizzard, everybody. Now then, let's uh, let's get into it. So, um, yeah, November 2009. So, as Jonathan said at, uh, at the start, the um, the 2010 World Cup qualifiers, they were in a two-phase round-robin format. In the first round, Algeria received a bye. In the second round, Algeria finished top of a group that consisted of Gambia, Senegal and Liberia. Uh, in the third round, they were drawn uh, with, with Egypt, Zambia and Rwanda. Um, and as you said, Jonathan, you know, they, they both sides, Algeria and Egypt, were, were identical, finishing top of the group. Well, so when they so, first meet in, in, in yeah. June, there seems to be a, you know, there's a recognition this is a, this is a problem. And mm. 
people go out of their way to try and calm this down. So right. when Egypt arrive in Algiers, you know, the, the players are given flowers as they get off the plane. Uh, the the doctor who'd been blinded is, is, is compensated. The Interpol arrest warrant against um, Balumi is, is, is dropped. Uh, so that there's, there's, a, there's a concerted effort on both sides to, to sort of say, come on, let's, let's put this behind us, let's get on with it. And that first game, Algeria win 3-1. So that's in the June. In the November, the final qualifier, Egypt have a goal difference. Uh, well, basically, they need to win by at least two to mm. catch Algeria. And in the first minute of the game, or it's the second minute of the game, sorry, they, they take the lead. And if you look at the footage of this, it, it's absolutely incredible. They must have about four shots in a <laughs> row. The ball's bouncing out, bouncing out, and eventually it's poked over the line. And um, you've got to bear in mind as well, this is an Egypt who have won the Cup of Nations in 2006 and 2008, and they go on to win it in 2010. They're a really good side. Hassan Shahata, the coach, is a very tough, very good coach of a particular kind. Um, and I, you know, I, I'd been there in, in both 06 and 08 and 06 when they won it on home soil was pretty unpleasant you know, the, 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 the crowd in the current National Stadium sort of 100,000 capacity and that, that stadium was always full four or five hours before kickoff. it was always massively hostile um, I don't know if it's to do with the, the Mubarak government or, or whether it's just natural partisanship but there was a, a as an as an outsider, there's a there's a definite unpleasant edge to the to the support. Um, the semi final in two thousand six, uh, when they they beat uh, Senegal, and they yeah you know, they, they they get away with I mean some appalling refereeing. The final, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, complained about being intimidated that the bus was was deliberately held up so fans could could you know shake the bus and whatever. And again, the refereeing in the final was pretty questionable. So, I've been to a lot of football in a lot of different countries. I've never experienced anything quite as sort of intimidating as that stadium. And they, they take the lead and the stadium's going berserk and Hassan Chihat is going berserk. And Algeria hold out, they hold out, they hold out, they hold out. 1-0 is enough for them. And then in the fifth minute of injury time, uh, Emad Metua scores the second goal. And that means they've got identical records. So four days later, they have a playoff in Sudan. Mm-hmm. And for that game, supposedly it was 9,000 fans per team in a 40,000 40, capacity stadium. There was a lot more than 9,000 fans <laughs> of each team there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we should say, Maha, that, that you know, Algeria, when they turned up to Egypt, Egypt in, that, in that game when they lost 2-0, they were under the cosh on and off the field uh, when they arrived you know there's footage on YouTube that you can see when the Algerian bus is pelted and rocks thrown through the for the windows players are injured and so on I mean it was it wasn't the welcome that they'd given the Egyptians yeah and I mean intimidating atmospheres are not uncommon in North Africa um, you know something that the Algerian national team experienced for example in that match in Cairo was uh, honking hordes outside the hotel until 2, 3 a.m. They do that in Algeria. They do that in Morocco. They do that a little bit everywhere. It's not very sportsmanlike, but but it happens. But the thing that really shocked and um, disappointed a lot of the Algerian population here was was the rock throwing at the bus because you ended up having three players that needed stitches. Khalid uh, Lemoucher, Rafik Halish, and I think it was Rafik Saifi. 
um, for different injuries on their head, face, arm. Um, and Algeria at the time wanted FIFA to step in and uh, ensure that Egypt forfeits the match because they said this is ruining the integrity of the sport because our players are literally injured. They cannot perform to capacity. In a match like this where it's really a game of inches, we need this match to be forfeited. FIFA took time to do their, their investigation and Algeria played the match. And like you said, it was a heartbreaking match for us, really an emotion of roller coasters. They score after two minutes, I think we're going home. We're not going to make it to the World Cup. Hang on until the very, very end and then they score again. So it was an emotional roller coasters and that anger in Algeria really came to a crescendo after the match because everybody felt like there was a real injustice that was done to us in Cairo and we uh, need to sort of avenge that in Sudan. And so there are political measures that are taking place. Uh, free uh, air tickets to Sudan by the Algerian government. Uh, no visa. The, the Sudanese government helped us. So we don't need a visa anymore to go. So uh, travel agencies were crowded and, and more than 12,000 were sent uh, to Khartoum. Hmm. And I think one of the shocking things about that attack on the bus is the way the Egyptian press yeah. sort of just denied it happened. Just sort of said, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, this is a sort of a false flag attack. The Algerian players are breaking the windows of the bus because they wanted it called off. And this sort of one-eyed nature of it. And I think that was one of the things I found really disturbing you know, in, in 2006 was just sort of this sense of unreality about everything. Mm. Um, and, yeah, FIFA's investigation and, and the video footage makes it very, very clear what had happened. Right. I, I found it interesting the seeing the footage of the players when they get to their hotel uh, after that attack and they're just, they are, you know, in shock and obviously a bit shaken up. And then they soon suddenly start chanting, you know, you know, Algeria and, and all that kind of stuff. And you can see that they've almost sort of a, a switch has been flicked in their minds of right, hang on, we, that no, we're not having this. Uh, and obviously they go and, and, and lose the game. But but as you say, you know, playoff in uh, in uh, one off playoff in in Sudan. And is it is it fair to say this is where you you mentioned you know the 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 countries both sending supporters is this where it begins to get a little bit more political than it than it might have yeah i would definitely say so so right after algeria lost in cairo actually orascom which is one of the biggest mobile telecoms uh, companies in the world really or at least in africa um their offices in algeria were ransacked burned uh, some egyptian business here were also attacked um you could feel the ugliness really ramping up uh, ambassadors were recalled to, to account for things from both countries um, and here you have a very weird political situation because you have Hosni Mubarak, the Egyptian dictator that was in power, I think, for more than 25 years, who is getting on in age. And a lot of people said that he was getting ready. He was preparing his sons, Ala and Gamal Mubarak, to sort of take over. And they were making very public television appearances at the time. They were in Cairo Stadium. They were in Sudan as well. Television would always pan to them. Um, they would make you know, these grandiose statements about nobody being able to touch Egyptian dignity, any country that does that is going to have to answer for that. And in Algeria, you had the president Bouteflika, who's now been deposed uh, due to the protests uh, over the last uh, 18 months or so. He was actually getting ready to change the constitution to run for a third presidential term, a third consecutive presidential term, because in Algeria it was limited to two. And so he was sort of surfing on this to, look, we have, we should deal with this football problem right now instead of the constitutional problem. He was actually sending Algerian supporters for free over there. And uh, and when the Algerian national team eventually came back triumphant, he had decorated the entire team with, you know, medals of honor and all that at the, at the presidential palace. So it became very political over the next 
four or five days, really. There were stories in the Egyptian press that uh, Egypt fans of Egypt were attacked and uh, and had a lot of trouble in Sudan. I mean, were they a bit fabricated? And was there any were there scuffles happening in Sudan between the two fans? So I had a Sudanese friend that was there, uh, Hadi, um, who lived in Canada, where where I was at the time as well, and he he was there and he told me there was definitely an element of truth to it. Um, the Sudanese government tried to suppress it and said there were four minor injuries on after the match. Um, the, I think the Egyptian foreign ministry said that there were 21 uh, injuries of different severity. Um, I think there was definitely an element of exaggeration, but I, I don't think it was a complete fabrication. I do think a lot of Algerian fans were, were so angry with what happened in Cairo that they did attack some Egyptian fans uh, after the match. Okay. Well, if we can, should we talk about the match itself? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was a game of football, we can't forget. Um, and I uh, mean, not a classic. And as you say, it was all the off-field stuff uh, that, that went on. But I mean, looking at that Algeria side, who were the key players for Algeria around this time? Uh-huh. Uh, the Rangers, former Rangers centre-half Majid Bouguera. He ended up having 70 caps for Algeria. Um Antar Yahya, who played for a lot of different teams in Germany, uh, he ended up with 60 caps. He was the captain of Algeria in the 2010 World Cup, um, mm-hmm. another central defender. Karim Ziani, a little diminutive, little um, attacking midfielder that was very, very good technically, but often held on a little too long uh, on the ball. Algeria's national team was not really good. Um, <laughs> Rabah Saadan, the, the, the national team coach, I think had this really weird philosophy of just making sure he has his best 11 on the pitch and then trying to find a formation for them. I think against England, he played a 3-6-1. In the match in Cairo, he also played a 3-6-1. Very weird formation. Um, whereas, as Jonathan pointed out, this Egyptian national team was really, I think, in my opinion, the best Egyptian national team of all time. They had, yeah. they, I counted it out. They had seven players with more than, that finished with more than 100 caps in their career. They were very experienced. They had already won two African Cup of Nations on a trot, and they were so, so good. But I think Jonathan probably has better Yeah, I mean, they... The, the team that won three in a row was was pretty consistent throughout, and I'd been very skeptical of them in two thousand six. I, you know, I I thought they'd won the tournament because of the environment, and and that that may still be partly true. But in two thousand eight, they were the best side there. In two thousand ten, they were the best side there, and and I saw I, I, they were a team I sort of came to respect. So you look at that side, and, and Hani Saeed, the the sweeper, was was a great player. While Guma, the the he sort of played his right, you know, a great sort of defensive defender, um, but they had a Really beautiful creative midfield as well. So Ahmed Hassan was a who played on the on the left. So it was, it was a three five two, and he played on the left of the three central midfielders. And he he was. I mean, I, th- I think he's the he's won the Cup of Nations more than more than anybody else. I think he's won yeah. it more than Nigeria. Because he's won five, hasn't he, or four? He's won four, four, four. four. Uh, so he won it in ninety eight, then three in a row. And he was this sort of. Like lovely player who sort of just did everything, but he was very creative, very elegant on the ball. They still had Mohamed Abitrika as as the playmaker, who is now in exile for various political reasons. Uh, they, they had uh, Amizaki, of course, we we know from his days at Wigan and Hull. Um, Evan Mutter, who scored the, the the second goal in the in the two nil, who was just one of those players who always scored goals. He had a habit. Uh, I think in 08, he had a habit of he would always come for bench and would always score. Um, the and the, the, oddly, I, mean, I don't quite know why this would be. I don't know if he, he was injured, but the player who'd been player of the tournament in two thousand eight, uh, who was Hosni Abedrabu, uh, was on the bench and he came on for Akhan Fati. So they had Fati and and Mohamedi both played, who could both play right wing back. I think Fati played in the middle. Played defensive midfield, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, he, he was a great box-to-box player. He's, you know, it's just a really, really good, solid team. Uh, Moad, the, the left wing-back, he was there all the way through the, the, the golden period. Uh, El Hadari, the, the goalkeeper who you know, played at the World Cup age, 420 or whatever he was. <laughs> um, he was a complete pain in the arse. He was a great goalkeeper, but he had the lowest pain threshold of anybody I've ever seen. You know, <laughs> He was a. He was a, If you want, if you want a time wasting last twenty minutes of the game, he was, yeah, he was, get him. Get him to take a goal kick, and he wasted He's your man. eighteen He's minutes your man. pulling his hamstring. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he was always. He was always sort of crying as soon as they won as well, just to break mm. down. The, but anyway, very good goalkeeper for all yeah. his limitations as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's 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 the man that counts. That, that, maybe that's unfair, but it, I I didn't enjoy watching him put it that way. Sure. So th- yeah, this is a very very good team and a very a team that knew knew its knew its role very very well. Yeah, which is I mean surprising really that it was when you put it like that that it was Algeria who who progressed. I mean the the other the Algerian player that uh, perhaps Premier League fans will remember is Nadir Belhad who played yeah. for Portsmouth for for a short while. Um, and I, when I was looking at the the statistics and the facts of this match, seeing him get a yellow card in the first minute was uh, was quite enjoyable. And I suppose could have set the tone really, but there were no sendings off uh, in, in this game, and there was a handful of, of yellow cards, but not as many as it might have been. But watching the footage of this game, you can't help but notice when they both teams come out, they come out at opposite ends of the ground. There's no teams coming out of the same tunnel as we're so used to seeing. Um, that, to me, only adds to the uh, the occasion. That adds to the highly charged atmosphere, Mahir. And, yeah, and, and Antar Yehya, who, who ended up scoring the goal on the day, he was fairly incensed about this. He said they came down. It kind of looked like they came down from the VIP section on a sort of red yeah. carpet. And, <laughs> and Algeria, who were very paranoid about everything, they were mad because they didn't have water in the changing rooms. They were opening up all the cabinets and the lockers in the changing rooms, making sure there was no microphones and cameras. And they had to come out of like a little tunnel and both teams lined up. And, and that's when the Algerian national team turned their backs on the Egyptians too for the national anthems. Mm-hmm. So there was, I think, no love lost between these two sides. And, and it definitely showed on the pitch, like you said, with that the second minute booking of, of Nadir Bilhaj with the, one of his many uh, crazy tackles of his career. Yeah, I mean, I find it interesting, Jonathan, when you, when you see that kind of thing, the Egyptians coming out of the grand entrance, and they're coming out of the, the little one and so on. I mean, that, that does the team talk really for Algeria, doesn't it? That kind of thing, you know, it winds up players and they think, right, we're going to make sure we're not going to lose today. Yeah, maybe it was a... Sorry, sorry go on. No, I said, maybe it was a logistical necessity, but for Algeria... Oh, quite possibly. Maybe for Algeria, at times, you just need... You need to find find a way to, to make yourself, you know, to yeah. ramp yourself up. But yeah, go on, Jonathan. Yeah, well, I, I just wonder as well, you know, I, I completely understand why it happened, but the the, cel- the Egyptian celebrations after the 2-0 are mm. so wild and so over the top, completely understandably. You know, they, they, in the fifth minute of injury time, they got the goal they need. And I just wonder if, if that sort of um, stiffened resolve. And I, I wonder as well if just that emotional expenditure um, whether that was too much then four days later to pick yourself up again and, and, and go again when you've had that enormous high. But actually all you've done is earn yourself another bite of the cherry. And and Algeria are able to sort of reset and go, right, let's let's not have that happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean what what do you remember from, from the game itself, Maha? How how the kind of obviously there's the goal in the first half. Were there many incidents that stick out? Yeah, so like Jonathan, I think very like he expanded very well on the fact that Egypt were this beautiful sort of free-flowing attacking football side with you know Mohamed Abutrik at the eye of the storm pulling the strings and streaking wing backs. Algeria were a side that were very very good at defending 
and very good at set pieces. And in a sort of cagey affair like this, I think it, this sort of match played right into their hands. Um, and, and you add the sort of extra motivation about being attacked in Cairo and all of this. And I, I think Algeria were always going to win. So what I remember is uh, a little scuffle in the first five minutes between Murad Megni, a uh, former Lazio player, and, and the first New Zealand uh, that, that sort of emerged out of French football in 2003-2004, and, and Ahmed Hassan. So that was an interesting... I, as soon as they, they, they had that scuffle, I thought, oh, this is going to be a really, really cagey, cagey game. And I think that's going to play into Algerian hands. I remember uh, the goal, of course, Hantar Yahya, and sort of ball being looped up over the Egyptian defense by Karim Ziani in the 40th minute. And, and what was interesting about that goal is that he had a very similar chance, I think, 10, 15 minutes prior, where he, it was him at the, approximately the exact same angle, and he shot it low, and uh, Issam al-Hadri, the, the great... Egyptian goalkeeper with low pain tolerance saved it with his feet. And after the match, he said the, the second time for the goal, he actually shot it. He just hit it as hard as he could and it sort of somehow bounced in. But he said for the first for the first occasion, he said, we hit it low and he saved it. We hit it high and he saved it. And then he said, so I decided to shoot it where the devil couldn't reach it himself. <laughs> and and that's a wonderful double entendre because he might be calling Issam al-Hadri the devil. I think he has the same disdain for him as, as Jonathan. But, uh, <laughs> but that actually became, a, 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 it actually entered into the, um, the, the sort of, um, is it, we call it a lexicon. Sorry, my English is not as great as yours, but into the football lexicon uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Algeria, where if the ball hits the sort of 90 degree angle between the crossbar and the post, we call that the devil's corner because of Antonio. Nice. So yeah, that, that sort of prompted a, Great bit of football the, culture. The goal itself is, is slightly odd in that he's clear, you know, because he, he's a, he, you know, he's a, he's a left sided centre back. Yeah. And he's gone, so Algeria have a free kick sort of around at the halfway line. He goes forward for the free kick and they mess about for ages. Mm. You have a sort of four or five passes before they put the ball in the box, which is really dangerous because the, the centre halves are all up. But it, I mean, it, you, I, it's a really great strike. I mean, it's a lovely mm. goal. It is a slight Van Basten element to it of that, that sort of, Angled ball from deep, coming onto it on the angle. Absolutely, I mean, yeah, it's not it's not as good as Van Basten, but coming in on the angle, absolutely lashing it past the keeper. It's it's a it's a lovely goal. There's no way he meant to do it. I think he just hit it as hard as he could and <laughs> and somehow went in. <laughs> yeah, I said, but a great goal to to win the game, of course. Um, and that was just before half time. Right. Uh, I mean, into the second half, was this a kind of a nervy affair for Algeria, I imagine it would be because as Jonathan's talked about the attacking talent in that Egypt side. I mean, they managed to hold out, of course. But I can imagine you watching this game, you know, getting through your fingernails by yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was exactly it. Especially especially with what happened in Cairo when they scored in the very last minute. So yeah. you really knew that it was going to be a full 45 minutes of defending. And I think in the second half, I mean, I can't remember too many times when Algeria had an attacking occasion or were in the, they were in the opposing half. It was all about sort of if you get the ball, clear it into space and hope one of our strikers can hold it up, fall over, waste uh, two, three minutes, play a you know, small set piece, waste more time. And at that, when, thing, when, the, stakes, when the stakes are, are, are that large, you really don't care about playing attacking football. You know, it's been, it's been four, 24 years since Algeria had qualified to a World Cup, 20 years since Egypt had qualified to a World Cup. It's been dubbed a hate match. These two countries, everything is ramped up politically. Uh, you don't like them. They don't like you. With what happened, with everything that happened in Cairo as well, it was just all about making it through those forty-five minutes with that one-nil lead. Um, and to make things even more more nervous, we had uh, our second goalkeeper in Fauzi Shoshi, who ended up having 
a pretty good game, but who ended up committing one of the worst blunders ever in the 2010 World Cup against Slovenia. Um, he, he was actually in for Lunes Gawawi that picked up an extra yellow card in Cairo. So we had our second goalkeeper and we're not really sure how he'd perform. He ended up playing okay. But yeah, that whole second half, like you said, going through my fingernails, praying and, and just like <laughs> really whatever was left of my fingernails were sort of digging into my, into my palms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're up to your wrists at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, Algeria qualify uh, for, for the 2010 World Cup. What was the aftermath then of this game immediately after what was, uh, what was the scene in the two countries? It had been dubbed the second independence uh, day in Algeria because there were yeah, literally hundreds of thousands of people on the street in Algiers. And it was like that across the country. Um, probably Algeria's biggest footballing exploit after beating West Germany in the 1982 World Cup. Um, just again, because of what it meant, because of the rivalry, um, everything in the case. I, I was in Canada at the time. I watched the match with 20 or 25 of my Algerian friends. As a 17 or 18 year old, I don't know how old I was at the time, we just sort of grabbed an Algerian flag and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you were away. <laughs> yeah, and celebrated in the city center. Uh, yeah. so really, I've never felt that sort of ecstasy for a footballing match in my life before, uh, as I did post match. And in Egypt, it was the exact opposite. They had mm. sort of phone ins on Egyptian television complaining about the attacks that happened after the match. Um, there was talk of completely ending diplomatic relationships with Algeria, which was actually quite a serious claim. Um, so the, for them, it was really a catastrophe. And there was really, the, there was this development of the curse of, are we ever going to make it to a World Cup again? If this side, which ended up winning three consecutive Africa Cup of Nations tournaments, couldn't make it to a World Cup, when are we going to make it to a World Cup again? And eventually they ended up making it the next year. Mm. Presumably the scenes in Algeria were probably quite similar when they managed to uh, nick a point off Capello's <laughs> England in the World Cup itself. Um, but uh, but I'll, I'll leave that there. But, uh, but before the World Cup uh, happened, Jonathan, in, in 2010, the summer of 2010, they, they met again. Yeah, in, uh, in the, the semi-final of the Cup of Nations. And... Mm. Enter Jonathan Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the press box in Benguela... Um, <laughs> I've they, heard about this before. Yeah, yeah they, 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 they put the Egyptian press at the front of the press box. They put the Algerian press at the back of the press box. And they had this sort of cordon sanitaire in the middle of yeah. me, Big Duncan <laughs> White from Sunday Telegraph, yeah. uh, David Ruiz from Marca, and there's an Italian journalist there, um, Stefano, I can't remember his surname. He's based in London now, Stefano. So he made right. up that impenetrable wall to separate the well, two. Well, I mean, two of us did. I'm, I'm afraid yeah. you, <laughs> David and Stefano disappeared pretty sharp, which is the final whistle. So Algeria win the game 4 0. Yeah. Sorry, Egypt win the game 4 0. Uh, Algeria have three men sent off. Uh, yeah, lose her discipline completely. Uh, Shaushi should have been sent off for a headbutt. So the referee, Kofi Kodja from Benin, he, he ends up getting banned for not having sent him off for the headbutt, even though he did subsequently send him off for a second yellow card. <laughs> So it's it's absolute carnage. There's um, there's an Egyptian journalist in front of us who, who sort of we we sort of noticed that he was quite striking anyway. He had had this incredible moustache, very carefully curled, like wax moustache, and he kept on doing this thing. I, I don't know, maybe Mark can explain why this is so offensive. He kept on adjusting his cuffs, and he do he was doing it very ostentatiously, clearly kind of doing it at the Algerian fest behind me. He was doing it the, the the cuffs of his of his shirt sleeves, and the cuffs of his trousers. And every time he did it, you could hear the kind of the anger getting getting louder and louder. So I, I don't know is that a particular insult? 
I have no idea. I know like this is like a sort of like no, it, no, it wasn't that. No. It wasn't that. No, he was he was just ostentatiously adjusting his cuffs, and and no that idea. that for some reason in that in that day had become a massive insult. <laughs> and so the final, and I, I'm sitting there typing. I'm filing live. David and Stefano disappear. So there's me and Duncan left there, and as I'm sitting typing, you know, got a file on the whistle. So you know, I'm sort of getting to the last, you know, last sort of thirty seconds of before I file. And I just see this huge gobbet of spittle fly over my shoulder. <laughs> and and then I, I, I sort of hear the Algerians coming forward. Duncan you know, is, is enormous. He's like six foot seven or something. And so he's like holding them back as I'm kind of <laughs> filing. And I, I'm sort of going, Monsieur, je travaille, je travaille, s'il vous plaît. And then the Egyptians turn around. And so the spittle flying, this fist flying, this thing's being thrown. And I'm still kind of desperately trying to file. Get it sent. Pack my laptop up. We can't then get out because we're just surrounded. We're right in the middle, in the eye of the storm. And then suddenly you see these riot police coming in with batons. And golden riot police. Oh, wow. Smashing the shit out of people. And I'm like, Jesus. Which my phone goes. And it's... um, uh, It was uh, Ken Early, who who we've done the podcast with. I think it was when he was working for Off the Ball. And he said, oh, I see there's been a bit of trouble with this game. Can you, can you tell me? Like, I'm, in, I'm in the middle of a riot. <laughs> Put me so, through. So I, I, couldn't, I, I genuinely couldn't hear a thing they were saying. It was so noisy. I was just describing what I was seeing. Mm. Um, as the riot police were separating. Mm. And, and <laughs> Duncan and I got out completely unscathed, not even a drop of spittle. Somehow we'd been so so in the middle of it, we got away with it. But just astonishing. And then... then and then in the mix zone afterwards, there's, there's fights break out again between players, coaches, uh, mm. journalists. I mean, absolute nonsense. But as, a, as an Englishman abroad, Jonathan, did you not wade in yourself? <laughs> I was just I was looking for patio furniture. I just couldn't find any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where's that when you need it? Blimey. Oh, dear. My goodness. Yeah, so, I mean... Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, Algeria themselves have seen the 2010 World Cup. Um, not a not a brilliant showing, but you know, not the best. But 2014, you know, if you if you if you fast forward to then, obviously a, a better showing in the World Cup, second round uh, took Germany um, to extra time in that match. I mean, you know, so so Algeria. They, what am I trying to say? They, they've this this rivalry, you know. You wouldn't really be aware of it so much in Europe, I suppose. But um, I mean, but it then reaches you know, another point. In the Cup of Nations in 2019, Algeria yeah. win it in Cairo. Yeah, well, I mean that was an extraordinary affair, Miami. What one you enjoyed, I've no doubt. Definitely, and our coach is a former international as well. I think he played in actually in the five-two loss that I referenced in the 2002 World Cup qualifying, uh, Jamal Belmadi. And I, I saw, I, I had picked up a few hints that he doesn't like Egyptians uh, throughout throughout the tournament. Um, they were training at Petrojet Stadium, and at training sessions, for example. He would first complain that the pitch is not, you know, moist enough. He'd tell them to turn on the sprinklers. He would turn on the sprinklers, and then he would say after two, three minutes, all right, cut it out, cut it out. And when they didn't cut it out, like in the next 10, 15 seconds, he started yelling, oh, these Egyptians, they're always like this. I know what they're about. They want my players to get injured. And uh, one Egyptian journalist in the final question of the final press conference after the final match uh, asked Jamal Bumadi, what would you say to Egyptian supporters that had been supporting you despite the rivalry uh, during this couple of nations? And he finished, so this was the last sentence that any coach had said at the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations. 
He said, oh yeah, is that the case? He said, I must go see my uh, ophthalmologist, my eye doctor and my ear doctor when I go back to France because uh, I didn't see or hear any Egyptian supporters supporting us. So, and he finished it with that. So there were definitely some hints here and there, but I, I don't think the rivalry is where it, as, where it was in 2009, simply because there are honestly two new governments, a completely new generation of players. Really don't see things going back to the way things were until there's a World Cup qualifier, World Cup uh, berth at, at stake sometime in the future, hopefully. Yeah, well, well, and we, I don't know, do we look forward to that? I suppose we do. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose we do. Uh, Mara, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this. Uh, we could have talked for, for hours about this one, so thank you very much for uh, for giving us some, some highlights or lowlights, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure having you on the pod. Thank you very much. Uh, for more stories like that, do go to uh, theblizzard.co.uk. Um, my, myself and Jonathan will be back next week with another great game from football so until then have a good one Thank you.